This is Alex Moskowitz of the Emery Wheel and Aaron Perlstein of BPA Hoops. You're listening to the Sixth Man Podcast on Anchor.fm. Welcome back, folks, to our third episode of Season 2 of the Sixth Man Podcast, solely focused on the National Basketball Association. So the big news over the weekend in the NBA was that there is a large coalition of players led by Kyrie Irving that are considering not playing when the NBA resumes in Orlando. They're considering refusing to play in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement, which protests police brutality and systemic racism. So given the large role that many athletes have played on this front, advocating for social justice, marching along with protests as Jalen Brown, Steph Curry, and many others did, we want to bring on Isaiah Avent. He graduated from Seton Hall last month, majoring in criminal justice, and played on the basketball team for the past two years after transferring from the University of Hartford. He plans to use this degree to become part of law enforcement and wants to coach basketball on the side. So please welcome Isaiah Avent. How you doing? Thank you for having me. Okay. So our first question is, what exactly got you interested in criminal justice? Can you point to a specific event that sticks out in your mind or events? Um, well, my uncle, he worked, he worked for prosecution. And um, basically everybody in my family was working in law enforcement or still is working for law enforcement. Um, something that really got me into it even more was my high school coach at um, Franklin. He was a chief of police in his area, so and he was a basketball coach, and that's something I want to do also, be in law enforcement, but still give the knowledge of basketball to the younger, younger people as well as being a coach or a skill developer. So um, I think with the coach that I did have, Corey Floyd, he helped me out big time, um, like just knowing that I want to go into law enforcement because um, he did everything the right way, and that was just something I wanted to be. I'm just watching him every day, coaching and going to work and then coaching and going to work. So um, that was just pretty much it right there that like solidified me going to college and studying criminal justice. So you you say like you obviously love criminal justice and the law enforcement. Like is it right. safe to assume you've never really had a negative interaction with uh, – No, I never really had a um, negative interaction with any police officers. I only had one bad um, interaction where I was – driving with my license and um it was actually in my town where i was going to the restroom and um this police officer was just telling me and um i don't know why he was telling me because i wasn't speeding um i did everything correctly i turned on my signal and all that and um when he did stop me i asked him briefly why did you stop before and um he didn't really give me a true reason why he stopped me he just kept it mad brief and upfront saying what's your driver license at and um I got to fully look into the laws of like police officers pulling you over, but there are a lot of cases of police officers who may see you in a nice car because I was driving Mercedes. So they may see you in a nice car late at night and they're just wondering why are you driving? And I don't think police officers could necessarily drive, um, just pull you over just based off that reason. You're driving a nice car and um, you're a man of color and you're in a, a neighborhood that's pretty much wealthy. So um, I wouldn't say it wasn't a bad interaction. It just was a sketchy interaction with the police officer. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so you spent your, fr- your freshman and sophomore years of high school at Immaculata High School. Correct. Um, so how was your experience there? Did you ever feel singled out because 
you're raised in a predominantly white, white private school? Mm-hmm. Well, um, the students itself was as like, it wasn't racist, it's racist at all. And if they were, they was great at uh, hiding it. So um, I never faced any racial slurs as a student being at Immaculata where um, there was games where opponents would say racial slurs. It wasn't anything like that. Um, they never show any races towards me, but um, I did have a professor um, at Immaculata where um, he felt multiple black kids within the school that played a sport, which is basketball specifically. So um, I took a class with chemistry and um, in Immaculata, if you fell one class or two classes, you can't play for the rest of the season. And um, it was my sophomore year at Immaculata, which made me eventually transfer to Piscataway. But what led into the transfer was because Dr. Riverland, that was the teacher name, um, he had felt me for chemistry and gave me like a D, I like to say, or it might have been an F. But the reason why he gave it to me was because he claimed that I never give him any of the homework assignments that I claimed that I'd given him. So it was uh, more of a he said, he said. So, um, of course, the nuns, because that's what we call them at the school, was nuns, like the presidents or the principals, they would believe the teacher more than the student. So I was just in a bad position where nobody was sticking with my word. Um, when I realized he was kind of being racist was when I talked to a friend that um, was at Piscataway. When I ended up transferring to Piscataway, he um, told me that he actually ended up in the same situation as me. And he was a guy of color. He played basketball as well. And he had told me that the teacher had failed him as well. And he did it on purpose. And this wasn't the first time the teacher did it. So um, for me, that was kind of like heartbreaking because I couldn't play for the rest of my basketball season. And um, I was having a good year. So I was a sophomore playing a varsity starting and it just went downhill once the semester ended. And um, um, the only way I figured out that he was kind of lying was when I got my grades back because everything that he claimed that I didn't hand in, he ended up handing it back to me after the season ended. So when the season ended, he was like, oh, Isaiah, um, I heard you guys lost, blah, blah, blah. Even though I didn't play, he was like, I heard you guys lost, and um, I found your homework assignments that um, I said that was missing. So I'm like, well, all right, just give it to me. At this point, I'm over it because this is like three months later from him saying I never handed it to him. So at this point, I'm like, all right, just give me my information. I'm not even going to look at it. Like, I didn't open it up. I didn't look at the grades, nothing. Um until I went home. When I opened the grades and I looked at it, I saw 50, 60, 50, 60. And I'm like, how did I get a 50, 60, 50, 60? But when I looked at it, um, it was white out over the original grade. So I put the paper to the light and it reflected the actual grade that was on the back. And it's had nothing but 80s, 90s, 90s, 80s. So I went to the principal the next day. I told her what happened. I told the coach what happened, and the coach, she was like, yeah, that teacher was being definitely racist. He realized he was being racist to his previous players I felt, and that um, actually striked the coach to resign and strike me to transfer. So um, the students was great, but it's just one bad professor that I had that um, had racist ways. Wait, that, so, so, so did you um, – did you end up getting your transcript, your transcript um, fixed to amend no, that? No, I didn't. No, because um, his 
standpoint was he did the work incorrectly and I grid it incorrectly. So, I mean, it's hard to word that because I went from an 80 to a 50, but that was his word. And that's what the, the school believed. But the coach didn't believe that. I didn't believe that. My parents believed that. So, um, sadly, no. It didn't change my transcript. It didn't change any grades. I still had that D on my transcript from my sophomore year at Macalada. So I ended up having to take it over when I went to this guy away. Yeah, that's yeah, that's horrible. And did yeah. did your teacher end up staying at the school despite the fact that he was clearly falsifying your grades? Um, honestly, when I transferred from Macalada, I didn't really care about the professor, but I did hear that he was there for like probably two extra years. Um, their reasoning behind why he missed um, or hid all my information was because he had dementia and he was having a lot of memory loss. So that was his excuse on why he didn't hit my homework in. And um, unfortunately, he passed away, I think, three years ago. So I think he just took a leave of absence, like after two more years after that prior incident of me yeah. um, failing. Did those kind of, um, you know, like those kind of incidents help um, add to your interest in criminal justice and what, what like helped you major? Um, that incident didn't really help me want to be in um, criminal justice. I just wanted to be in criminal justice just based off the stuff that we see in the news today um, mm -hmm. with innocent people passing away. Um, not just passing away, a lot of people being incarcerated, going to jail off of petty crimes. That's been in 10 to 15 years as somebody who committed a crime. And um, I just think those led me into wanting to be in law enforcement, not just the situation that I um, had with the school. It was just more things I saw with my eye on the news. So obviously you talk about what you saw on the news. Correct. When you saw the video of George Floyd's death, how did that make you feel? It was sickening. It was just sad. Like um, I can't even put in other words than sickening and sad and and the other sad words to put into. Um, you never want to see anybody pass away the way he did. Um, I think the officer had his knee on a guy's neck for eight minutes, or it might have been 16 minutes, could have been longer. Mm -hmm. um, we just know from what we saw in the video, so you don't know what happened prior to the video. So um, that video was just sickening to see for anybody, whether he was white or black or, you know, Mexican, anything. Um, that's just a sad thing to see um, anybody um pass away in that ration and um hearing the words that he was saying like he was crying out for his mom who had passed away previously so when he was calling out for his mom he's calling out to heaven he's calling out to god like please save me from the situation and that was just um something where i think it could bring chills tears to anybody's eyes uh, whether that's your family or not you should have just felt it in a way where it just made you like sad for the rest of the day and that's how i felt i was just sad for the whole day it felt like i lost a father or a brother or a cousin or an uncle and um it wasn't anything that i took from that video where i could say the police officer wasn't being um using his force or using his badge and he was using it incorrectly to me yeah i agree it was it was obviously incredibly despicable i mean the fact that george floyd was unconscious for nearly three minutes yeah. before he finally took his knee off of his neck. I mean, that says all, all you need to know about the officer's, mm -hmm. mo the officer's motives, ultimately. Yes. And, and, like, they had prior incidents where they worked together as well. Yep. So once they um, 
dig deeper in the case, they found out they both worked together. So this could go into multiple things like a hate crime. They could have had personal things at work where um, he may not have liked them. Or he could have been racist from the jump and said, I'm going to catch him slipping one day. I'm going to catch him slipping. And unfortunately, he did. And And there were also a bunch of instances where he had previously had complaints against him by the neighborhoods that he was policing. Yeah, he, he, racist he, and using excessive yeah. force. Mm-hmm. He did it to a bunch of people. And um, this one just luckily got on video and we finally got him in the act of doing it. And um, it's, I'm not going to say it's great that we caught him on video because I never want to see anybody passing away, but it's great that he got caught on video. Yeah. So everybody can know how he is and um, how they need to change the police officers and fix it up quickly. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the the most one of the most disturbing parts to me about it was the officers that stood and watched. You know, I mean, yeah. they could come out and say, you know, it was their first few weeks. You know, they all came right. out and tried to use that excuse. Mm-hmm. I don't care. You know, this has nothing to do with law yeah. enforcement or anything. This is human de- decency. Yeah, your first year, your first week, your first month, whatever it is, you should know right from wrong, yeah. and that was wrong, and that's it. Like. You should have told that officer, no matter how many years he's been in the force, hey, you're doing too much. You need to chill out. Um, because even if it's in the rule book of, I think they said in Minnesota, where a police officer could have a knee on somebody's neck, it's not in the rule book to kill somebody with your knee. Right. And right. if somebody say, I can't breathe, you got to get off them, period. Like, Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, our nation's been taken up by storm by this, and everyone's tried to use their platform. But do you believe that, like, an athlete's role to voice their opinion on their platform, um, do you think that's a good use of their platform? Do you think it's viable to actually help the situation? Yeah, definitely. I think athletes is um, the main people that we look at as young kids, even me, myself. Um, I was an athlete at Seton Hall University. I'm still playing basketball, and I think that um, kids look up to me, and I didn't even make it to the NBA level. I think kids up look, look up to LeBron James, the Chris Pauls, the Seth Currys, the Damian Lillards. We look up to those people more than we look up to the presidents, sadly. Mm-hmm. So whatever Especially given the current tweet, state of the president, but correct. Yeah. So like we're gonna be more fascinated with what LeBron James tweeted than what Donald Trump tweets. We may be disappointed with Donald Trump tweeted and we might talk about it more, but what LeBron James may say or Kevin Durant may say or Chris Paul may say or Chris Mike. Steph Curry may say it might be more powerful to us. I think um, athletes, even artists like musicians, R&B, anybody, they have a powerful wording as well to the youth because that's what we do. We listen to music. We watch sports. And um, with them talking, it's just going to enhance us to know what's going on and how to move forward from it. And I think they could make a change as well as athletes just speaking up as well. So speaking of athletes using their voice to – uh, express their opinion. Do you think the public's reaction to the Drew Brees comments on the other side of the debate, do you think the, the public's reaction was fair? Um, to the first tweet you're saying, or are you saying to the apology? To the, the, first, beginning, I think the first tweet, yeah. Yeah, the first tweet, I think everybody's reaction was correct. Even his teammate um, posted a video, and I think he was tearing up to a point um, in a reply. 
Um, I think Drew Brees is not a racist. I believe he's a man of um, like just fairness and he don't see anybody by color. But I think he did just say the wrong thing at the wrong moment. And I believe that um, he did what was the right thing, which was to apologize as well. Um, I'm not going to say he's a racist and what he said was being racist or I just don't think he understands the motive of what um, Kaepernick has done um, with taking a knee and not, you know, putting like stand up for the national anthem. I think um, he just misled the understanding of what Kaepernick has been doing or what we're really fighting for. And it's either you're with us or you're not. And um, with that tweet, it seemed like he wasn't really fully with us. Right. Right. Um, do you, how do you see, you know, basketball and sports as general, like now that we see the NBA might be coming back as a unifying force, like, do you see it that way or do you see it in a way that could be a distraction from the overall topic? Um, I think, I think we all need it. Um, we've been cut short from a basketball season. We've been cut, I've been cut short of a NCAA tournament for March Madness. So I think. Yeah, and you guys were going to go far this year too. Oh yeah, definitely. Who's gonna be seeing all year? When was the last time? When was the last time you guys made it to the final four? Since my father, nineteen eighty nine. For so. context, Isaiah's father is Anthony Avent, the former NBA basketball player. He was a seven year veteran. He was picked fifteenth overall uh, in the nineteen ninety one draft. Correct. Context. So. I would have been the first time since my father played, and it's just great that I played on the same university he played for, and I got to put on not the same uni- like uniform, but the same, you know, name across the jersey, Seton Hall. It was just a blessing. But, um, yeah. Wait, so how do you see basketball and sports as being – Oh, do you, do you, th- do you think, think it is a unifying it. force in America? Yeah, it's a unifying force, definitely, because not just in America, but worldwide. Um, I think – Sports is just something that everybody watched, and it's just taking everything by storm. And I think this is something that we need. It's not going to distract us from what's really going on. It's just going to help us understand more of, like, what's going on. It's not going to distract us, but it's just going to help us. It's going to better us. Because all we see in the news now when we turn on the news is just sadness. Somebody's passing away. Right. Somebody's getting shot. Um, I think with basketball coming back or any type of sport coming back on TV could just lessen that. Um, sadness of the things that we're hearing or seeing every day. Right. I think I, I think that's definitely the way to look at it. I mean, yeah. not to discredit Kyrie in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I totally understand where this is a bigger problem than anything we've ever had to deal with. Yeah. Um, but I think that he could, you could do both. You know, right. it could use their, that platform. I mean, imagine how big that platform is and how much mm-hmm. everyone needs a distraction for the last few months we've, we've gone through as a country. Yeah, and I don't think it just should be a player's vote. I think it should be a fan's vote, too. Like, I think if you ask all fans in the United States, do they want basketball to come back or do they want us to keep fighting for social justice? We want to say both. Right, right, exactly. So, and I don't think both – I don't think it's either or. Right. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be either or, like, basketball. If basketball players continue playing, we're going to stop thinking about what's going on. That's not going to happen. We're going to still fight for equal justice, and we're still going to fight for that. So, yeah, I agree. Like Adam Silver said – the amount of eyeballs that will be on the NBA when they mm-hmm. return will be unlike – I mean, they'll have the best ratings that they've ever, ever had in their history. By far. So, yeah. I mean, imagine Kyrie, LeBron, similar to when they wore shirts, I can't breathe, for Eric mm-hmm. Garner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Similar to that. Imagine mm-hmm. if they really take a stand 
And I'm sure Adam Silver would be willing to give them the platform to speak before yeah. the games about yeah, I mean, justice. I remember yeah. where I was when the Clippers made a stand against Donald Sterling. That like, and I remember exactly when you know they came out with the with no Clippers logo and then put all their um, <clears throat> shirts at the at the middle of the court. I remember, the court. Yeah, I remember that. That was a big uh, thing that made a big change. Yeah, I definitely did. Actually, my dad played under um, that guy for the Clippers. Yeah. Uh, but this is crazy here for what he said. I think they made a documentary just a couple of days ago. Yeah, on Quibi. Yeah, I, I don't even know that. what Quibi is, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're making new things because we're at home. We got nothing else to do, so right. why not make something new? Right, that's true. <laughs> so, as a former Division One athlete, how do you feel about the current NCAA system with players not getting paid for their uh, likeness and image? Obviously, it's um, it's all changing. It's, it's changing. Yeah, yeah it's, changing. it's changing now, but I think it should have been something that should have been changed. Yeah. I think um, Reggie Bush been um, he was striped from his Heisman for getting money. Um, I think college is just trying to own us pretty much, and they're gonna say we own you, so you can't sell your image, we can't sell anything and get money for it. I think it's unfair. I think all athletes, um, college basketball, football, anything, they should get paid for what they're doing, because um, I actually did a discussion about it for one of my classes, and um, believe it or not. I just did it for college basketball. We put in more hours than the typical American does working. Yep. And that's with us putting in time in the um, weight room. That's us doing individual workouts. That's us doing study hall classes. That's us actually going to class as well. Because basketball, being a D1 athlete, is just not playing basketball. It's being a student as well. So say you got class for three hours per day or even four hours. Then you got lift for an hour. That's five hours right there. You got practice for two hours and a half. You know, so um, it's just eye-opening seeing that we do work harder, not harder, but we work more hours than a typical American will work per week. And to see the money that they are making, the college basketball, especially on the high levels like Big East, ACC, SEC, the money that they're making is millions. And seeing that we're not making a fraction of it is just like, why not? You know, Um, we're doing all this stuff. Also, I think it's similar to like any college kid can get whatever job that he wants. He can, you know, start his own company. He can, um, he can work for whatever job that he wants during college. Right. Yeah. And the fact that you guys as college athletes, as division one athletes are putting in so much time to perfect your craft mm-hmm. and it can be considered work. The fact that you're not even able to make, money outside of the institution itself because i understand the whole amateurism of college basketball but then why can't you make money off of all the time and work that you put in right i mean what i was going to say is if you look at the revenue increase and things like that like i remember reading this whole article about um when tim tebow played at florida and you know the comparison like the how consistent it was with how tim tebow was playing and how much he was playing to their revenue sales it was basically the same exact graph. And I think that kind of shows that it was all merely because of him and his play. And mm-hmm. the fact that he didn't make any fraction of that or any kind of um, – any, yeah, any percentage of that is insane. Well, yeah, dude, when you go Zion to those – Williamson. Dude, Zion yeah. Williamson, like that game against UNC where he broke his shoe and only played 30 seconds, it was the 
highest, I think, highest average ticket price for any college basketball game ever. Those right. tickets were going for $2,000. President yeah. Obama was there, and he made zilch on that. Nothing. And he could have blown his knee that game, too, which is crazy. Yeah. That's true. And what would they have done then? Exactly. It was Nothing. Like, okay, sorry. I mean, he, he took out yeah. an insurance policy like all of these high-profile guys do, but Still. at the same time, it doesn't compensate for the I mean, actual work you're doing. And also, right when he declared for the draft, he signed – I think a 10 year, a hundred million dollars sneaker deal. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that shows how much his likeness and his image is worth off the basketball court. Right. Yeah, I agree. It's crazy. And you even see these kids like jerseys being sold on university campuses. Um, you'll see it online as well. I, it was crazy because the other day I just was bored. I just typed my name in and I saw somebody selling cups shirts t-shirts bags with my name on it and my number on it and it was most of my teammates as well um like nearly the whole roster they had different type of t-shirts hoodies anything that you wanted they could just print your name on that shirt or that, that bag that they wanted and they're basically selling your likeness and image and it's just crazy because if i would have sold that and would have gotten caught like not just myself would have been on the team i think the school could have gotten trouble as well so it's just crazy knowing that you can't get a penny from even signing the basketball. Right. Um, some, some people may stand in the long lines. Like we may have to wait a whole hour just to sign the autographs. We actually did something before the year started where we sat outside on a green. That's what we call it at City Hall. Where we sat outside and signed autographs for um, any of the fans, the family that came to the practices, the open practice that we had. I'm not saying that we should be paid for it, but um, – it was the two hours of our day that we spent outside signing autographs for the basketball. And um, it's funny because one of the parents came up to us and was like, thank you for doing this. Like, thank you. I know you guys are not getting paid, but we really, like, respect you guys for doing this. Yeah. Because we know that you don't have to, but you guys really are doing it. And you guys are keeping a smile and not making a dime from it. And um, it builds character. I, I do agree it builds character, but I do believe those instances, like, all the things that we do, um, we can make something from it. Right. I mean, thankfully it's changing. I know Florida a few weeks ago signed a bill yeah. that allows college athletes to profit off their name. So mm-hmm. hopefully all the other states could yeah, hopefully. take from that. Yeah. Unless, unless everybody's going to go out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, about you searching your name up on Google, I sometimes do that too. I just try to relive my glory days at Jewish Day School. <laughs> so just to make myself feel a little better. I, I don't want to single you out. Like I want to show that, I'm, you know, I do that. Hey, you too. do it too? Of course. It's only right. It's only right. How can I? It's only right. Given your platform as a prominent athlete, what do you mm-hmm. plan on doing in order to bring about change in American society? Obviously you're planning on going into law enforcement, mentoring the youth, kind of instilling your values in young basketball players. But how do you plan on doing that? I think um, social media could take um, everything I'm trying to do by a storm as well. Um, I have a great following base, whether it's old people or younger people. I think, um, especially with the youth, it takes the youth to change. It's not going to be the old people, our parents, our uncles, our aunts. It's not going to be them that's going to make a change. It's going to be us, the 20-year-olds, the 23-year-olds, the 18-year-olds that's watching the news right now to make a change. So I think – Anything that my friends, my teammates, or myself put on our internet network, 
Um, we're going to have a large fan base already where they're going to look into what we're saying and they're going to say, hmm, maybe it is time for a change. I think um, just constantly talking about it will make a change. For me, um, I think just expressing how um, black lives really do matter, expressing it, whether I'm just talking to somebody or whether I'm putting it on social media, I think it's needed to be talked about like nearly every day. It shouldn't be something that we should stop talking about next week. It's something that we need to bring up mainly every day. And I think um, not just being able to be a coach or working in law enforcement, I think using my social media could help big time. Yeah, um, to reach out to the younger people. Yeah, yeah. and carrying that enthusiasm mm-hmm. uh, in, you know, in in favor of social justice and on, yeah. on behalf of social justice into the voting booth Correct. and into the November elections, because I would yeah. argue that these elections have extreme consequences on the soul of America and on the soul mm-hmm. that that we present to the rest of the world and the way that we lead. Yeah, so, I think if I just post something saying, like, let's go out and vote, um, post the dates of when it is time for people in New Jersey to vote or people in New York to vote or Connecticut to vote, I think um, anything I could do with just posting that and giving out the knowledge to people, like, it's time to vote. Let's go out and vote now. Um, I think that was something that's powerful as well. Um, making sure that you're eligible to vote. I think people need to find that out, like, right now, if they haven't already. Um, I think it just time for us to wake up and just not say we want to do something but actually do it right I think it's easy it's easy to say something and not do it it's easier to say like I'm gonna be a pro but you gotta make you gotta put in the work to be a pro so we want to have change or anything to change with law enforcement or people getting incarcerated or people dying um I think we have to show that we're really hurt and tired of being killed and I think um, we can't shut up. We got to keep talking, doing, keep doing it, keep doing it yeah. to prove that like we need to change. How do we make sure, you know, it, it stays in society? I feel like, you know, this is obviously this has ha- happened countless times and there's been protests, but then it kind of just dwindles away. You know, it kind of just simmers away. I think it just starts with the law enforcement. I think um, the police officers, they have to change. I think um, the owners for NBA teams. Yep or NFL teams or any sport teams, they need to come out and say black lives really do matter. I think um, the president... Jerry Jones is despicable. Yeah, I think, like, the future presidents or the president right now, they got to, like, really mean it. Like, sit down and look us in the eye and say black lives do matter. Or just say it's time to look at everybody equally and not see color and see somebody as just a human being. Because I don't judge anybody by their color. I just judge them by what they do, their actions, their motive. And that's it. And that's how you should live life off of somebody's actions and motives. And if you're cool with that, be friends with them. If you're not cool with that, don't be friends with them. And that's it. Like, don't widow anybody. Don't harm anybody. Don't hurt nobody if they're not hurting you. And I think that's something that we need to take into account um, just as a whole. Like, we need to stop looking at people as oh, he's a color figure or anything. We just need to see everybody as equal. I mean, it's, it's really disheartening that so many NFL owners, and it took Roger Goodell this long to actually speak up about the issues that face so many of his players. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just despicable. And Jerry mm-hmm. Jones in particular, I mean, he is willing to speak out about anything 
willing to criticize his coach like straight after a game. <laughs> and when you put the mic on him and you put the mic in his face on an actually important matter that matters to so many of his players, it matters to the fabric of America and what we stand for, what our values are. All you hear is crickets. Yeah. And I think I loved what the players did when they put together that video. Oh, yeah, uh, Patrick Mahomes. Imploring the NFL to yeah. repeat after them and mm-hmm. actually declare that black lives do matter and right. take Kaepernick's protest seriously and actually understand the meaning behind it. And I think mm-hmm. ultimately it comes down to open dialogue and understanding one another, listening mm-hmm. to one another, understanding each other's differences and our own perspectives, and then coming together uh, as one, like you said, you know, without seeing color and without, uh, without our implicit biases. Mm-hmm. Correct. I agree. I agree. So Isaiah, thank you so much for joining us. This Only was time, man. remarkably interesting. Definitely. You're an incredible role model to the youth. And I really, I obviously know that there are incredible things ahead for you. And I really, I mean, I really hope that you use your, that you continue to use your platform to Definitely. speak out on these issues. And, you know, your perspective is so nuanced and I think it will, um, I think it's super beneficial for everybody to hear what you mm-hmm. have to say. And, yep. um, and I, yeah, I really thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys as well. This is definitely something that's needed to um, put out in the air, you know, um, even being somebody of your color is just something, it's just great knowing that um, there aren't, um, bad in this world and there's good people out here as well. And I think you guys um, could definitely make a change as well. Definitely. With just doing what you guys are doing right now, showing that um, we can't be racist to black people or anybody of color. we got to see everybody as equal. And um, I think it definitely starts with you guys and it's something that I commend you guys for doing, which is this podcast which is you guys are doing tonight. Um, it's definitely very powerful and um, it's... Um, Definitely something I want to thank you guys for having me on as well and for you guys to do. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. We will see you back here for episode five very soon. Uh, Good night. Thank you. All right. Take care.